0: Hey guys, we're going to jump right into it and uh, I'm just going to go ahead and apologize for the shaky camera today. It is windy and it is rocking this camper like a boss today. So look, we're going to jump right into it with East Palestine train derailment. So we're going to kick this off with what we know and guys do me a favor, spread these videos, hit the like, subscribe button, everything you can do. And also you can find this podcast and others. Over on Spotify as well, so check out those links below. Here we go. So the derailment that happened uh, two weeks ago, here's what we know: is a three man crew. We had an engineer, conductor, and student. And thankfully, these guys were on their game. They were able whenever they got notice of the uh, failure from the detector. They derailed shortly after that. Train went into emergency, and the crew went into action. They were able to contact the dispatcher using the 911 feature on the radios and advise them of a hazmat derailment, get the appropriate information out to the dispatcher, and they were able to alert the people in uh, East Palestine of the issue and the disaster and was able to uh, get in touch with those people right away. Their quick actions, having the information, on hand and knowing what to do, including that student, from what I'm being told, was an absolute rock star in helping get that train cut away. They saved countless lives in that community. Um, and given what is being carried on that train, guys, I'm going to tell you right now if you're not familiar with Lac Megantic, it happened up in Canada, and I believe uh, 16 people were killed in that derailment in that small community. Uh, This had the very big potential for being way, way worse. And because of their fast professional actions, they saved lives. Don't care how you slice that. Don't care what anybody else has to say. Those guys saved a lot of lives, and hats off to those those guys. Um, My sources that are actually uh, involved in this and giving me some factual information, they did have – their appropriate uh, hazmat paperwork, and they knew the information that was on their train. I bring this up because a viewer sent me a uh, sent me a clip or a link to a radio show just yesterday of some guy calling into this radio show claiming that railroaders have no idea. Because of some national security, they don't want, you know, hijackers to know what, it, it's off the wall. I haven't ever heard of this. I have my serious doubts that this guy's even, this guy's even a railroader. Like, he he sounds like a contractor that cleans tank cars, not actually a railroader. I, this guy's definitely not in the know of anything. Um, anyways, I'll play that for you guys on a different episode, but, uh, they did have the information they needed and hats off to them for doing their job and saving lives. Um, and like I said before, the crew was able to cut away from the train safely and get to relative safe, uh, safety. Um, the NTSB released in one of their news announcements that, they have two videos from security cameras down in Salem, Ohio, which is about 20 miles before the where the derailment took place of the mechanical failure. And it is, guys, it looks like Haley's going down the tracks. If you actually work out there, you know, you see sometimes a locked-up break, a bearing like that. This went on for 20 miles. There's no excuse for that. And that's not the crew's fault. That's, that lays solely on Norfolk Southern. Where are the detectors? Were they working? You know, was it one of those that, you know, I'm hearing about where detector goes off, crew doesn't get a notification over the radio, but instead it goes to a desk to somebody not even remotely close to that area, and then they evaluate, see what's going on, and then let the crew know. So which one is it? Or did they even have detectors out there? We know that one did go off, and alert them, but it was just moments before they derailed. That's not acceptable. And also getting word that the NTSB is also investigating for possible track failure as well. So we'll, we'll hear hopefully more on that. Also one thing we do know, there has been a gross, gross lack of mainstream media coverage over this. And I got my speculations on it because Quite frankly, there should be a lot more. A lot more. Which makes me think railroads got their grubby little paws in the mainstream media. Food for thought on that. All right, so with that said, let's move on. NS, Norfolk Southern, is 100% liable for this. Look, I get accidents happen. They do. But the question is, and, and actually he's not even a question. The fact of the matter is, is this most likely could have been prevented. They could have taken a lot further steps to ensure that, you know, these things, everything's been done that could possibly be done to make sure the uh, things like this never happened again. Let's go ahead and talk about this real quick. And that is... Norfolk Southerns liability. I believe a hundred percent this is a direct consequence of precision scheduled railroading. we call it PSR. In short, this was the brainchild or the brainchild of this was a guy named Hunter Harrison. You will not find a single real railroader out here that has boots on the ground that has anything nice to say about this guy. And if this guy wasn't lying in a grave right now, I'd hold him directly responsible for what happened in East Palestine as well, because his idea and this deal of PSR has led to this and what I fear many more disastrous consequences in the future. So basically, PSR, in a nutshell, is doing more with less. Now, look, I do have a management background, not in railroading, but management and hospitality. And, you know, I do have my own business that I'm working on building. And yes, you have to have a budget. Yes, you have to try to be as efficient with the work that you're getting done or need to get done, you know, as cost effectively as possible. Nobody is going to deny any of that. That's just business. However, when you start cutting corners to improve your operating ratios, you start working your, overworking your staff. You start cutting corners on safety. You're more worried about the investors than the men and women actually doing the work to make the money. You're doing something wrong. And here's where we are. A big part of this is Carmen, and I've seen it myself, I'll talk a little bit more about it later, are being forced to pencil whip or just not do inspections the way they're supposed to. If you check out my buddy Joey Railroad Talk, he just did a video talking about some of this, and he had a viewer uh, reach out to him. He's a carman. He's retired now. And I believe this guy, when he says it, he has not truly inspected a car in 17 years because of PSR ethics and practices that that's scary. That is really scary. We're talking about a single on average rail car. And just, let's just, I'm not going to get into super specifics here. A, a single empty rail car is a big hunk of steel An average 50-foot rail car will weigh anywhere from 25 to 30, 35 tons empty. No freight, no coal, no automobiles, nothing like that, empty. Keep that in mind. Then you got air systems, you got brake systems, you got hand brakes, you got bearings, you got journals, you got springs, you got trucks, you got knuckles, you got drawbars, you got a lot of moving, heavy parts made out of just straight up steel. They're subjected to insane amount of forces all the time, and these these cars and these the these pieces of equipment. It's not a gentle experience. Go out and stand near a yard. Don't don't go trespassing. And watch your yard crew switch it's loud it's noisy and it's violent that's why one reason railroading so dangerous you blink for an instant you can lose your hand get caught in between two cars you can die so damn quick doing this job it's it's insane these guys are are under the gun to move more cars inspect less and then these carriers are coming by saying We don't need them to inspect more. We have this fancy machine that can do just about everything these guys can do. Also, track maintenance and work is just overall being cut back. Listen, go find in Google track maintenance, NTSB reports, things like that on YouTube and Google. You will see so many examples of where corners are being cut by these carriers. And since the NTSB has made a statement they are looking into a potential track failure as well, they haven't given a whole lot more on that, my guess is some things are going to be uncovered. So, you know, they can't pay a sick leave. They can't do that. But, for example, NS, back in March 2022, their board of directors approved a program to buy back 10 billion dollars in stocks why because investors come first it, you know their focus is on better operating ratios and corporate growth versus safety safety on the tracks safety of the equipment safety of the crews and labor you know that's it, it's it's insane. They, they cannot pay. They say they, they'll go out of business if they pay sick days. And that's why they enact all these crazy attendance policies. But they can improve, approve $10 billion in stock buybacks. They could do the sick days and have better attendance policies and still be able to do quite a few billion in buybacks. But that's not where their concern's at. It's not in safety. It's not in the well-being of their employees. It is focused on corporate growth, Wall Street, and just putting as much money in their pocket as they can and just wringing the shit out of the workforce and the men and women in the crafts. That's, That's what brought this around. I guarantee it. Corners were cut. And they got caught with their pants down hands down so we're gonna go ahead and move on here so this is a direct result of psr precision scheduled railroad hands down because psr is all about focus on shareholder investments and buybacks and they are focused on doing more with less and by that I mean, they want to run longer chains. We're talking trains three plus miles long, less inspections, less crews, longer working hours, you know, increasing customer prices and fees. And you know, they're doing this by slashing overhead like the push from automation, push for one main crews. NS has been a big front runner on this, thanks to people like, you know, Cindy, you know, Boohoo Sanborn. And you know, we got we gotta have one man cruise so we remain competitive with trucking. And now they're moving from that tactic to saying one man cruise will make quality of life better for 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 our employees. They keep changing it up. They tried the safety act, didn't fly. They tried the tr- you know, gotta remain competitive with trucking, that didn't fly. Now they're trying to do the one-man cruise for quality of life. That's not flying. They keep trying something different every time. And it is constant cost-cutting and cutting corners every chance that they can find a place to do so. And one of those, you know, is track and car inspections. You, this isn't some big secret. They would like you to think that it's not happening. They try to tell you it's not happening. I've seen it with my own eyes where the powers that be at a terminal tell people, tell these carmen, look, we're not inspecting these trains or we're only inspecting certain trains. We got to run them down the line. You know, these carmen... And track inspectors and workers are constantly being told to do less work or do work, you know, no work at all. And then they're turning around and going to the FRA asking for exemptions on certain safety rules. I mean, just look what BNSF just did. They asked, uh, they they just asked the FRA for an exemption to change a rule so that the flow rate on the air system can be uh, up to 120 versus, uh, 90, which is stupid in and of itself, but that's a totally different topic we're, we're, we're going to cover on a different day, but these are the things these big class ones are doing and they directly result to this. So one of the things I want to know, when was the last time this, the, these sets of cars were actually truly inspected and the carmen actually given a chance to pull it out of service to be fixed. Also on top of that, what's the track inspection history? No. Are there any defects, any warnings, anything like that, that Norfolk Southern didn't address? I bet there is because the NTSB stated that uh, they're also investigating a uh, track failure. So hopefully we'll hear more on that. But NS is 100% liable for this. There's no way to cut it. Which is funny because if you look at bnsf their company motto is every accident is preventable but i guarantee you ns is already going to be saying look this was just purely an accident there's nothing we could have done but one of your buddies says that every accident is preventable so what is it look we're talking about thousands and thousands of gallons of hazardous materials that were released into the air, into the ground, into the water. Look, I spent 15 years in first response. You know, I was a volunteer firefighter. I was a paid EMT. And I'm going to tell you right now, you do not have this level of contamination onto the ground and into the air without fallout. It's just, there. there's no way around it. This will have long-term effects on this area for years to come. And it's been kind of funny because initially the EPA was like, everything's all clear. You can come back. Everything's good. All the tests look good. There is no possible way within two weeks with that amount of chemicals in the air, on the ground, in the water, that it is all clear. And now they're backpedaling. I mean, you, you can't script this kind of clown show that's going on. I do not trust a damn thing the EPA is saying right now. Because here's the thing. As soon as that hits the ground, it's absorbed by the ground. Dirt, the ground, is a sponge. It goes from top to bottom. And what's below the dirt, eventually it's going to find water. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of gallons. And then all that that was burning, here's a fun little fact here. If you see flames, that is a product or a fuel source that is on fire. That is fuel being burned. Okay. Black, dense, thick smoke, that is unburned fuel. It's got to land somewhere. It doesn't just go up into the air and evaporate. It's got to land somewhere. It goes somewhere. These hydrocarbons go somewhere and they are toxic. You know, there is going to be long-term effects of this. So I, I don't buy the all clear. I don't buy it one damn bit. I'd be questioning every bit of that. And then I'd also probably be filing a lawsuit against you know, Norfolk Southern, I'd be all over that. You know, groundwater contamination, they're already getting reports of that. You know, I, I was watching a video, they had a rough estimate right now of about 3,500 dead fish. You know, a bunch of, you know, home animals, domestic animals that are dead when these people got to return home. Um, that should be the canary in, in, in the mine. Speaking volumes right there. You know, there is going to be air and uh, residual, you know, and residue effects. The first responders out there, you know, they, you do not fight an incident like that and come out unscathed. Your turnout gear gets nasty sometimes. And a lot of times these, the turnout gear can't even be cleaned or reused. It, uh. You know, it's it's just, you got to get a new set. I mean, things that they have done so much study into firefighter and first responder safety. My old fire department has now adopted, uh, and they did this a while back, they adopted an NFPA standard saying that firefighters, once you go fight a structure fire, there's hydrocarbons involved. You have a second set of turnout gear at the station. You go back you throw your stuff in a washer, you put on your clean set all because first responders are, are developing cancer at an alarming rate because of these hydrocarbons exposure to hydrocarbons and stuff that's just on the turnout gear. So now, you know, a lot of this turnout gear that these guys are using are probably just going to have to get thrown away. And that is that, that is a hard hit take for a small community like this This is extremely hard hit. And you know, I hate to say it, but I'm afraid that some of these guys may actually end up having some long-term lasting effects that are going to develop down the line. So like I said, true fallout will become apparent in years, not months. This one's going to be felt for a while. I mean, just take a look at Lack megantic Those guys and gals out there in that community are still recovering. That was nine years ago. Nine years ago. So keep in mind. So, I wanted to touch base um, on this right here. My little thing's not wanting to act right. So, I'm just going to do a brief overview of what PSR is, precision scheduled railroading. And, uh, okay. So, close things out here, guys. These train incidents are going to become much more common and quickly, thanks to PSR, all the class 1s, have adopted some form of operating practice of PSR. Some have come out and straight-up said it, like Norfolk Southern, CNCP, um, Union Pacific. BNSF waves their flag and say, oh, we don't do PSR. They don't call it PSR, but take a look at high-vis and some of these other policies and the way they're doing things. It's PSR. You can take a shit on a floor and call, you know, call an apple pie, but it's still a pile of shit is what it is, is PSR is PSR, whether you call it that or not. So, and here's one thing I'm really afraid of the PSR fallout that we're starting to see happen is going to turn fatal quick, fast, and in a hurry. We are really, really lucky. Nobody immediately died from this at, uh, East Palestine. But like I said, long-term fallout, that's a real deal. And I'm going to say this right now. With as little regulation as these railroads are facing from the federal government and state and local agencies, these railroad CEOs need to be held individually accountable as well as the company as a whole. They are the ones at the top guiding these moves, guiding these pushes, guiding these investment buybacks, you know. Guys, this this has got to go. And the CEOs need to be held accountable. They need to stop being able to hide behind a team of lawyers and just do whatever they want without any accountability or being, you know, held responsible for things like that. Also, government regulation and oversight needs to happen now. There's we've been screaming this for the last three years with high, you know high vis and PSR and nobody's listening and people are dragging their feet and going at a snail's pace. Those days need to be done and over with. Ever I don't care if you're a railroader, not a railroader, you know I don't care if you drive a truck, a plane, a dinghy. Don't give a shit everybody out there needs to begin in contact with their unions, with their legislative reps, their representatives, their governors, their mayors. It needs to happen. People need to get involved right now. The other thing is is watch out for false information. I have seen so many videos of people claiming to be railroaders and just unequivocal I've seen so many videos And just things of people claiming to be railroaders, like they know what the hell is actually going on and they don't, they don't have a clue. And it's obvious as someone that is a railroader that they're not. So watch out for a lot of that false information. I wouldn't be surprised if some false information is going to be getting put out by the carriers, AAR, um, you know, Norfolk Southern themselves, trying to take some of this heat off them. And like I said, get in there and get involved in your communities and government and do your part. Rail labor and the unions are fighting like hell to make the railroad safer, not just for our jobs, but for our communities as well that we live in. We need your help to do that. Now's the time. And get in there and start asking questions and pushing for two-man crew plus you know, legislation to make sure they don't get to put one person on an engine. Because I guarantee you, if that was an engineer only on that train, that engineer may not got out of there alive. He may not have been able to, you know, contact dispatch and get the information he needed, you know, if it was just him, he may not have been able to do everything that needed to be done on his own. I, 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 firmly believe that. I think this would have been just insanely even more disastrous if it had only been one person on that train. And I'm, I'm really, really thankful that we had a full crew plus a student on there. It, it's just insane. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Between the Rails. We got a lot more stuff coming up. I know we've kind of been on a little bit of a hiatus right now and uh that's just because we've been working on the other channel it's been growing and we're kicking this uh project off again so do me a favor hit that like subscribe button down below check out uh, our other channel rails tails and trails we'll see you on the next one